first message today is going to be brought to us by Mr. Ken Barton, and it is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Good news. This is probably going to be my last message gleaned from David Barton's book, A Mayor for Us to Pray or Not to Pray. The book focuses, I was going to start off with a picture of the sitting duck. I used to have a little poster, and it's this duck sitting in a deck chair, looking up at the three bullet holes in the wall, wondering what's going on. Anyway, <clears throat> the focus on what occurred after the United States Supreme Court turned the United States back on God, making it illegal to say this huge, powerful, 22-word prayer in our public school. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. I won't go into the details again as to the horrendous changes that have occurred. I think it's sufficient to say that overall, it's been horrible. So what to do? How can we as a nation recover from this? Where do we go from here? Because as a nation, we must recognize God as Almighty Sovereign. Otherwise, we will continue to face punishment because nations must account to God in the present. As George Mason explained on the floor of the Constitutional, Constitutional Convention, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, so they must be in this. By an inevitable change of causes and effects, providence punishes nations national sins by national calamity. That, in my opinion, is the only explanation of what's happening since then across our nation. Such as huge fires all across our lands, widespread anarchy that is building. In my opinion, we must do what God tells us to do in Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14. If I set up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There have been a few efforts toward that already. Students and others have fought to regain our rights. For instance, after my first uh, message, Reg Nolan told me that at Booker T. Washington, the students regularly gather for prayer and to seek God and to praise God. But I believe there's been enough for a battle. I know of other instances of students that do that, and I respect them highly for that. But those, those really kind of small battles, frankly, you know, overall. Don't we really, as a nation, need to right the wrongs that occurred with those original rulings? Mr. Barton states that there needs to be two reversals to recover from the Supreme Court ruling. First and foremost, we must reverse our national public stance for God that occurred when our court banned the acknowledgement of God and the following of his principles in public. This, in my opinion, is much more important than the reversal of Roe v. Wade, 
that everybody in here is most likely happy with. <coughs> you see, in my opinion, Roe v. Wade came about because of our coming about from God as a nation. We must obey God's statutes, as we are told in Deuteronomy 6.17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord of your God, His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. To cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. In, the, in verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. Moses sums it up pretty well in Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord, <clears throat> your God, with all of your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. That's as good advice now as it was then. <clears throat> we still need to keep His commandments in order that we may prosper, don't we? Jeremiah 8, starting in verse 4, and verses 4 and 5, really sounds just like today. Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If I will they fall and not rise, will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to the feet. They refuse to return. I could have said instead of Jews from the United States. <clears throat> That's why we now have anarchy in different parts of our country. The only way to reverse our national slide is to return to obeying God's law. In 1962, when the U.S. Supreme Court eliminated the acknowledgement of God in schools, 97% of our nation claimed to believe in God. However, Mr. Barton points out that from the 20s to the 60s, all the way up to that building, Christians en masse had pretty much voluntarily removed themselves from the political, social, and legal arena. He points out that the inescapable consequence of godly people removing themselves from the arena will be that they remove their godly values with them, which results in a vacuum. And that's going to be filled with ungodly values. He then points out this inescapable truth. People in office legislate according to their own personal beliefs. Proverbs 29.2 points out that he spoke quite clearly. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. According to a 2020 poll by the Public Religion Research Institute, 70% of Americans profess to be Christian. However, an article in Christian Headlines reports that a survey conducted in February 2021 by the Cultural, Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found 69% of American adults are 
quote, self-identified Christians, unquote, have looked that up. That, according to my research online, consists of people who merely say they're all believers, as opposed to true believers who actually walk the walk. The problem there is that many of the self-identified Christians hold on to some contradictory beliefs, such as people are basically good. There is no absolute truth. Even more alarming in my view is that 64% of them say all faiths, all faiths are of equal value. <clears throat> 57% believe in karma. Now it is fun to see somebody that does something that's just absolutely rude or something going to just hit with something right after that. But as a belief, I wouldn't necessarily go to it. Here's one thing the report stated as a problem that I don't, I don't necessarily agree with their, their findings. They found that 58% of self-identified Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being. I agree with <clears throat> I do not believe the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. Rather, the Holy Spirit that we receive is a marker from God and a helper from God. A helper that Jesus said we would ask God to give us. The helper that showed up at Pentecost. That's what we get when we are baptized into God's Son. A marker showing God's ownership of us. And it says, John 14, 16. And I will pray that the Father, and He will, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I will come. Our nation needs to return to the original meaning of the First Amendment, which reads, Congress shall make no law regarding establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In order for that to happen, I believe that our Supreme Court must overturn the 62 and 63 rulings that they made just as they have overturned Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> Completely reinstate our constitutional freedom of religion as stated in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievance. This is one of those rights peaceably assembled. And there are places that have tried to do away with that in our fairly recent past. <clears throat> According to this amendment, we have the right to peaceably assemble and petition our government for redress of our grievance of losing our freedom of religion. I believe the only way to be successful in that endeavor is through nationwide revival, beginning with the very way that God told us to use. Again, 
Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from, on, from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. So who are his people? Those who seek him and listen to his word. Isaiah 55 <coughs> One, two, three. Everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you will have you who have no money, come buy grain and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Simply accept it as a gift from God. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your earnings for what does not satisfy? By the way, I'm using the amplified version. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight in abundance. Use God's Word. Incline your ear to listen, and come to me. Hear so that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercies promised and shown to David. We need to realize that God's goal has always been the salvation of the entire world, and respond to His efforts and turn back to Him. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him for salvation while he is near. Let the wicked leave behind his way and the uprighteous man, unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. For, and he will have compassion and mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that what we need most of all? God's pardon? After we repent and turn back to him and ask for it. Over and over again, he asks us to come back to him in repentance. And he promises if we turn back to him, if we will do that, he will forgive and restore us if we seek him. Here's what Mr. Barton lays out as a map for us. 1 Timothy 2.1, 1 things first. First of all, then I urge, urge petitions prayers and intercessions, prayers for others, and thanksgivings be offered on behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in positions of high authority, so that we may live in a peaceful and quiet life, live a peaceful and quiet life, in all good godliness and dignity. God wants us to pray for civic leaders first, because their policies affect everyone. This is for our own benefit, Right? Get our leaders in all levels of government right with God and just think how much that would change things. Also, we need to regularly pray that God will remove the wicked from office and replace them with righteous ones. This is how William Penn, who basically founded Pennsylvania, put it. Governments rather depend upon men than men upon government. Let men be good and the government cannot be bad. So good laws do well, good men do better. For good laws may lack good men, but good men will never lack good laws nor allow bad ones. This requires that we, all of us, become active in praying for leaders and officials at all levels. Two, become active in praying with your school-age children. Teach them the importance of prayer and petition. Help them begin each day by seeking God. Proverbs 22, 
train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three, become active in sharing God's truth with others. If you have children, teach them the Christian history, heritage, and tradition of our nation. There's a lot of people out there trying to say that we don't have a Christian basis in our nation, and that's as wrong as one can get. We have a strong basis and foundation in God. Help them to recognize that the current doctrine of separation is hostile towards Christianity, is unfounded, and is wrong. Four, become an active voter. Christians need to again be involved in the political realm. Mr. Barton cites several 1988 polls that showed that 84% of this nation firmly believed in Jesus Christ. A Christian Princeton poll showed 94% believe in God. 80% approved the voluntary care in school. 81% of the nation opposed special rights for homosexuals. 89% opposed using abortion as a means of birth control. Didn't know that, did you? Because when Christian voices are still, then only the lies are propagated. And that's basically what's been going on. Here, there is a huge amount of lies supporting evil lifestyles. And at the same time, much is being done to try to make people believe that the Christian view is in the minority, so it behooves us to not allow that to happen. Mr. Burton gives this scenario. Imagine a hypothetical vote in the untenable, I'm sorry, the U.S. Senate, where the final tally was 94 to 6. It would be untenable for the six to be declared as a winner, wouldn't it? <clears throat> and have their public policy enacted over the votes of the 94. Yet this is exactly what happened when the public acknowledgement of God was prohibited. For instance, I looked on the internet, according to the Gallup poll, 5.6% of our population is LGBT. LGBTQ. 5.6. Another one of their polls states that if things keep going as they are, it will become 10% before long. Why is that? Because there's nothing challenging it. All you see is stuff promoting it. That would be because we just hear again. He asked that if, if that can truly be appropriate, either in a republic to which we pledge our allegiance, or in a democracy, which we often claim to be. The obvious answer is, of course not. Yet that's essentially what continues to occur on a regular basis. Because while polls show that an obvious majority of citizens appear ready to return godly precepts to public office and public affairs, there are obviously many elected officials who don't want to. Truth can be made to shine, but it must be put out there. President James Garfield stated it like this, and I find this very appropriate for this day and time. Now more than ever, he said, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. 
if it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. He also points out that Mr. Barton also points out something that I feel we should readily recognize as true. If we want different national policies, it's up to us, the citizens, not them, the leaders. Remember, politicians are our servants, not the other way around. And they're the ones coming up with the policies we're not liking. So we need to tell them about it. Problem is, we haven't been doing that. He shows proof of that. In five separate U.S. Senate races in 1986, there were five candidates who stood for determining godly principles for public affairs. They were defeated by less than 12,000 votes per state. A collective total of only 57,000 votes. The thing is, in those five states, there were over 5 million Christians who did not even vote. If even 1% of those Christians had voted for those candidates, five ungodly men would have been voted out. Five godly men would have taken their places. And people wonder why the swamp continues to be so corrupt. Don't lose heart. <clears throat> Mr. Burton says, rather pay attention. Oh, by the way, that people wonder why the swamp continues. That's my editorial comment. But he says, pay attention. The thing to note here, it wasn't the bad activists and the radicals that defeated those godly candidates. It was the inactive Christians not showing up that defeated them. Couldn't be bothered. We can make a difference if we'll step up and be the majority that we really already are. The adage sums it up quite well. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. According to Mr. Barton, and I agree, there's much good men can do to keep evil from triumph, with one of the most important things being to vote biblically. America's first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, received a letter asking if it was permissible for a Christian to vote for an ungodly character. And here's what he said. Whether our religion permits Christians to vote for infidel rulers is a question which merits more consideration than it seems yet to have than it seems yet to have generally received either from the clergy or the laity. It appears to me that what the prophet said to Jehoshaphat about his attachment to Ahab, and that's in Second Chronicles nineteen two, and the and Jehu, the son of the Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is on you. He also said this on another occasion. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. It is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Running out of time. Okay, so we have... 
prominent minister in the early 1800s, Charles Finney, declared this, The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics, or the Lord will curse them. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country which we have love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. Nor Webster put it this way, Let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. It's not going to get better by itself, is it? In order for positive change to happen, we have to participate in our nation's electoral process. <clears throat> David Barton compared it to the four lepers in Samaria when Israel was being besieged by Syria and everybody was dying from starvation. <clears throat> and the four lepers men at the entrance of the gate, they said, why are we sitting here until we die? So they got up and went to the enemy's camp. And that's when they found out that the enemy had left. God had scared them all away. And they found all this food and stuff and brought it back. But if they just stayed sitting there, it wouldn't have done any good, would it? He's saying it sounds, it's time to do something different. Like being the majority we are. You know, declare at the ballot box. We will no longer allow officials to embrace the six values and we don't be, and we don't believe in God to abrogate the right of the 94% to do. We can make a difference again if we will vote. Become active in helping the candidates. Once you find a candidate you like, help them. Maybe go to their office, maybe make phone calls, maybe do something. Give them some money. <clears throat> Be asked, let the candidates know what your positions are. Okay? What your opinions are. They work off what they hear. If they don't, you know, if they don't hear anything in the opposite of what they're being told, they're going to go with that. David Barton asked several congressmen how many letters would be needed to make a difference on a hot issue? Their answer? If we get as many as 50 letters on a bill, it's a very hot issue. Two of them stated that receiving 20 letters on an issue would be sufficient enough pressure for them to reverse their policy. <clears throat> so be active in communicating with the, the politicians, the elected officials. Call their office every so often. Send them an email. Send them a regular mail. Be personal. Okay, a personal letter carries a lot of weight, even if it's a short one. Because people don't see that. They know that if they get a letter like that, somebody cared enough to take the time and do that. Be personal. Get the name right. Call them by name. If you call them, know their name. Get to the point. Three or four paragraphs is plenty. Start with a short, friendly greeting. Explain why you're writing. And see what. Tell them what you want done. Be specific. 
Give them the name, number, or description of the bill that you're calling about. Don't threaten them. That doesn't work. Remember Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing because threats tend to make people stubborn. Be complimentary and appreciative. You shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. It also tells the thoughts, words, things of their life. Life isn't good if you're asking for a favor. Want to know the address of your senator, United States senator, or United States congressman? For the, for the representative, U.S. House of Representatives, Washington, D.C., with the name of the representative. They all go to the same thing. And they give you now. The name of your senator, U.S. Senate, Washington, D.C. Oh, the representative is Washington, D.C., 20515. The senator's name of the senator, U.S. Senate, Washington, D.C., 20510. Be informed. Share that opinion with others. Let them know, okay? Become active in leading community change. Again, Charles Finney made this statement in mid 80s, 1880s, and it's still appropriate. Politics are a part of a religion in such a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to the country as a part of their duty to God. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation are becoming rotten. And Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you, He does see it, and He will bless or curse this nation according to the course that the Christians take. And number 10, develop a long-term spirit of resolve. It's of the utmost importance that we develop an attitude of unerring duty, along with a resolute and steadfast attitude in these times of cell phones, streaming movies, it's easy to have an almost ADD-like attention span. We need to be able to keep focus on our goal of renewing this nation's focus upon God. We definitely want it to happen quickly, and the more that we enroll others in this focus, the more possible it is that it will happen. However, it is possible that it will take a while. After all, it's taken a while for us to get this bad. <clears throat> Remember what God told the Israelites in Exodus 23, 29, and 30. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And that's what we want to do, right? Is get our land back. We need to again realize that biblical principles are key to our nation's success. I'm going to leave you with two statements from two presidents. George Washington said, The favorable smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and rights which heaven itself has ordained. Abraham Lincoln said, The truth announced in the Holy Scripture and proven by all history is that those nations only are blessed who shall 